Welcome to Murder by Nature, where we discuss true crimes, mystery disappearances, and unsolved cases. I'm Jasmine Hernandez, your host today. Before we jump into our case today, we're going to go through the references, Wikipedia, Murder of Ellie Gold, the show Real Crime from the UK, and Reddit. Our story begins in 2002. Ellie Gold was born February 6, 2002. She was the daughter of Matthew and Carol Gold and lived with her family in Kane, Wilshire. She was a year 12 sixth form student at Hardish School in Chippenham, and she was studying her A-levels. Ellie was a keen horse rider. She participated in local events as well competing in cross country. She had the ambitious goals to join the Mount Police and study psychology at university. Ellie was close with her family and she was extremely close with her cousin Jen. They were born days apart and grew up more as sisters than cousins. Ellie was honest, loyal, kind, bubbly, and she didn't change who she was for anyone. All of her friends say that she was a person that was a breath of fresh air and there was no one else like her. In January of 2019, Ellie began dating Thomas Griffith, a fellow A-level student at her school, whom she's known since they were in year 7. Thomas was her first boyfriend, and Ellie and Tom's friends said that they were always an item on and off since year 10 and year 11, but they officially started their relationship in year 12. Ellie's mother, Carol, had commented that her husband, Matt, wasn't overly keen on Tom because he didn't say much, but she assumed this aspect of his character was just down to his age. As Ellie's exams approached, she wanted to focus more on her studies and felt like the relationship was not right for her anymore, so she ended it in early May. Ellie told friends that she felt suffocated by Tom's attention, and friends said that he did not take the split very well. On the night of May 2nd, Ellie posted to Snapchat that she finally ended things with a happy picture and she was no longer suffocated or overwhelmed with the relationship and can focus on her friendships and her studies as she really wanted to go to university. The day after Ellie broke up with Tom, on May 3rd, 2019, it started like any other day. Carol was getting ready for work and Ellie was eating a bowl of cereal. Ellie didn't have any lessons that morning, so she was going to stay home and revise some work, and then around 12 p.m., her friend Ellie W. was going to pick her up as they had history together that afternoon. At around 11.53, Ellie sent a message to Ellie W. and let her know that she was going to stay home and revise. She stated, we won't be doing anything anyways, XX. At around 3 p.m., Matthew Gold arrived at home after work and walked into the kitchen to find his beautiful daughter face down in a pool of blood. Matt called a neighbor over to help and called 999, telling the operator that there had been an accident. Officers arrived at the house to a horrific scene. Allie was found face down on the kitchen floor with her right arm across her body with a knife in her hand that was put back into her neck. Matthew called his wife Carol at work, crying hysterically that she needed to come home now. There was an accident with Ellie. Carol remembers leaving work and driving home thinking, what did she do? Maybe there was blood and Matt's not good with blood, but why is she home? She wasn't due home until 4 p.m. after school. As Carol arrived at the scene, there was police cars everywhere. She remembers not having anywhere to park, so she abandoned her car in the street and ran to her driveway. When Carol arrived at her door, she was met with her husband sobbing. She couldn't understand what was going on. There was police and ambulance everywhere. She asked her husband, what's wrong? What happened? Matthew, crying, gives his wife the devastating news. Ellie was dead. Medical experts concluded that Ellie was dead for four hours before she was found by her father. Injuries to Ellie were so horrific that they don't even believe the best surgeon would have been able to save her during that time. 
Police quickly started to interrogate Allie's parents, asking who her friends were, what her plans were for the day, and who she was supposed to be with. Even though police didn't tell Allie's parents, they immediately knew that this was a homicide. Allie's father was so shocked to the point that he couldn't talk to the police. Police started to investigate the death immediately. As police questioned the neighbors, someone saw something. They said that they saw a male, slender, with dark hair, but they couldn't see his face ringing Ellie's doorbell. As Ellie's parents head to the police station, they're thrown a bombshell on them. Police let Carol and Matthew know that they have an update on the case. They were investigating a homicide. Her parents couldn't believe who would harm Ellie. Everybody loved her. They didn't know who would want to do this to her. As her parents are processing this information, Carol receives a phone call no mother wants to answer. Her son Ben was calling. He didn't live in the city. He called frantic, saying that he saw a post on Facebook, and there was a bunch of pictures of cops in the road, and their driveway was in the post. He tells his mother that he's confused and asks if everyone's okay. Carol breaks the news. There was an accident, and Ellie was dead. Friends and family remember getting the phone call to inform them of Ellie's death and the shock that they felt through this. Police quickly started to question Ellie's friends about Thomas or anyone who might have wanted to hurt her. Police start at Ellie W.'s house. When they arrived at her house, she wasn't home. She remembers getting a call at her boyfriend's house and her dad telling her that she needs to come home now. The police were there. As she's on the drive home, she's wondering, what did she do and why are the police at her house? She doesn't think she did anything wrong. When Ellie arrives home, she said that they sat in the living room and she tells them that she was supposed to pick up Ellie to go to school, but that she texted her saying that she wasn't going to school and remembers she said, we won't be doing anything anyways. Police told her that Ellie was dead and she broke down. She remembered earlier that day that when she got that text message, she went on Snap Maps and noticed that Thomas was at Allie's house. She said she thought he was there to get back with Allie, and Allie being who she was, she was going to be blunt and told him that they weren't going to get back together. She also tells police that Tom started sending weird snaps in their group message that she had screenshotted. He had scratches on his face and neck and said that he was self-harming himself because he couldn't handle the breakup. L.E.W. remembers telling him that it would be okay and that the group was there for him. She said that she's known Tom since primary school and he was always very kind to her and he, she couldn't imagine that he would do anything like this. Not to Ellie. He loved her. As police learned this information, the only person of interest was Thomas Griffith. When Tom was seen by police officers, he was displaying fresh marks down his face which looked like scratches and they looked like the classic defensive wounds. Thomas also matched the description that Ellie's neighbor gave police of a tall, slender man that was ringing the doorbell that morning. And based on this information, he was arrested on suspicion of the murder of Ellie Gold. Friends tell police after they arrested Tom that earlier that day he was posting to Snapchat with scratches on his face and neck, but he was claiming that they were self-harm due to his recent breakup with Ellie, that he was so stressed he couldn't handle it. As Tom was being interviewed, he said that he was studying all day and kept asking police if his girlfriend was okay. I haven't seen her today. He immediately was trying to lay the foundation of his lies and deceit. Tom initially claimed that he had not seen Ellie that day. He said in the morning his mom took him to school, but he wasn't feeling very well, so he emailed his teachers that he was going to go home. He walked to the bus and rode the bus home. There is footage of this that is posted to our TikTok and Instagram account if you want to see it. He also stated that he didn't realize that his mom was going to come home that day at about 10 a.m. and that he had to hide in the closet from her. 
Tom continued to maintain that he was innocent. He said when he got home, he started talking to his neighbors, telling them how stressed out he was and that his exams were making him a little weary and he had some family drama and that he was self-harming himself because of this. The neighbors told police that they noticed the scratch marks on Tom's face, which initiated this conversation. Tom stated that he asked his neighbor for a ride back to school so he can go talk with the school nurse. When Tom arrived at school, the nurse immediately called his mother to come pick him up. As police continue to investigate the murder, they are able to get a hold of Tom's phone data. They found that at 10.48, his phone disconnected from his home's Wi-Fi, but didn't reconnect for about an hour later. It also showed that at 10.58, Tom's phone connected to Allie's home, and it showed that he didn't leave there until an hour later at 11.58. Based on this information, the police were able to find CVT footage of Tom's car driving towards Allie's house from a local bus. His phone reconnected to his home's Wi-Fi at 12.03, but then dropped off again for 18 minutes. It doesn't say when it dropped off, it just says that it dropped off for 18 minutes. Based on this information, the police searched a few mile radius to see where Tom may have went when they stumbled upon a shocking discovery. A nine-minute walk from Tom's house is where they found a black trash bag filled with bloodstained clothes, shoes, tea cloths, towels, and more. Police immediately sent this evidence to forensic for testing. They needed to know whose blood that was. On May 6, 2019, the Monday after, police got confirmation that the blood was Ellie's. Police immediately arrested and charged Thomas Griffith with the murder of Ellie Gold. After three days, Tom was caught, but the police were nervous to go to trial. Officers said they didn't have enough hard evidence to convict Tom and felt like if this went to trial, he would be let off on a not guilty verdict. Police tried as hard as they could to get evidence proving that Tom did this and that he planned it at that. Based on the crime scene, police believe that Tom stabbed Ellie, cleaned his shoes at the scene, cleaned his DNA off the knife with the kitchen towel, and then placed the knife back in Ellie's hand to make it look like an accident. But the most disturbing thing police believe was to happen is that at 11.45 a.m., Tom used Ellie's finger to unlock her phone and send a text message to Ellie W. to not come over. They think he did this to protect Ellie W. to not be the one to find her on the kitchen floor. On May 29, 2019, Ellie Gold was laid to rest. Her funeral services shut down the town, and friends and family cried in the church to honor her. Police remember the quiet sounds of crying throughout the service, but nothing else. It was still as day, and all you heard was the crying. In August of 2019, Thomas Griffith pled guilty, but with a new story. Tom said he drove the car to Ellie's house to study, and while they were studying, they started to argue about family members. He said he only remembers a little bit after that. Tom said he started to strangle Ellie and then he loses his memory and only comes to after Ellie had been stabbed. Psychologists argue that after the events that happened, i.e. Griffith spending an hour at the house attempting to clean up the crime scene, him doing laundry of the clothes that he did this in and then placing them in a plastic bag, he also washed his shoes in the kitchen sink and cleaned the knife using an apron before placing it back in Ellie's hand to make it look like the injuries appeared to be self-inflicted. And then... 
He used Ellie's finger to unlock her mobile phone and posed as her texting one of her friends who was due to give her a lift to school and telling that friend not to come to the house and collect her and then returning home to change, putting his clothes in the washing machine and then dumping the bag of bloody items in the woodland area. Psychologists said that that's not amnesia, that's cold blood calculated murder. Since Tom pled guilty, there'd be no trial. In November of 2019, at Bristol Court is when Ellie's parents would come face to face with Tom again. Carol remembers staring at him and that he would not look at anyone. He just looked straight ahead. Carol also remembers looking at Thomas's parents. She wanted, to, she wanted them to see her face. She wanted them to look and see what they did. But his parents did not look back. His mother looked down and his father was just looking straight ahead at the back of his son's head. A letter written by Thomas Griffith was led to the court to be read out loud, which he expressed a heartfelt remorse for his actions. I am so sorry. I know my apologies and explanations will never be enough, but I hope in time I can show how truly sorry I am. He claimed his mental health was not good at the time of the murder, but he didn't even read this out aloud himself. He had his attorney read it to him, which to me, that means nothing. During the sentencing of Tom Griffith, Judge Mr. Justice Garnham described his actions as a forensic knife attack and the most appalling act on a vulnerable young woman in her home where she should have been safe. The effects of your actions not only snuffed out the life of this talented girl, but loaded pain on her friends and family. It was ruled that the murder was not premeditated simply because Tom did not take a murder weapon with him. Thomas was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum term of 12 and a half years before he'd be eligible for parole. 12 and a half years. Because of his age, the law prevented him from receiving a whole life sentence. Ellie's friends and family remember feeling empty and devastating following this verdict. They recalled walking out of the courtroom and hearing Carol scream an agonizing cry that they'll never forget. The group of friends couldn't believe that this happened, and let alone that Tom wouldn't be in jail for even the length of Ellie's whole life on earth. They felt like the court was saying that Ellie's life meant nothing, that she was only worth 12 years because of Tom's age. Following Griffith's sentence, the case was substantively referred to the district attorney under the Dulent Lenient Sentence Scheme. But on December 6 of 2019, it was announced that it could not be referred to the Court of Appeals because the law prevented people under the age of 21 from, be giving, from being given a whole life sentence. Carol Gold described the legal process as a crazy system where those under the age of 18 have the same starting point as a younger child. She stated there's a huge difference between a 10-year-old and an 18-year-old, and really, this law needs to be changed. How can one person cause so much damage, completely devastation to us, Ellie's family, such an emotional scarring to all of her friends, all of her friends, and the wider community, causing so much damage to so many, so many people, and the punishment for that is just 12 and a half years? 12 and a half years. It's wrong. Griffith's sentence reflects that in law, he's treated as a child, not as an adult. Ellie Gold was just 17 years old when Thomas Griffith, her former boyfriend, murdered her in a kitchen, strangling and stabbing her 13 times in a brutal frenzy attack. After Ellie's murder and sentencing of Thomas Griffith, Ellie's friends began to campaign to have self-defense lessons taught in school. Feeling the basic knowledge of self-defense would have saved her life and that it should be taught alongside subjects like swimming and road safety. 
The campaign was backed by James Gray, the MP for North Wilshire, and on March 12, 2020, the matter was debated in the House of Commons. Vicki Ford, a junior minister with the Department of Education, ruled out making self-defense lessons mandatory for schools, but she agreed to issue guidelines and asked head teachers if they felt like self-defense lessons were right for their schools. She said the balance of risk was much clearer with things such as swimming and road safety, but that teaching self-defense relied heavily on age and maturity. She said that the understanding that this could only be used in emergency services was not always clear with people of these ages. So what she's saying is she understands the need for it, but as a school and the board, she needs to take everything into account, which I do understand. Carol Gold campaigned for the introduction of Ellie's Law. This would enable young offenders to be treated more like adults when convicted of a serious crime, such as murder. In August 2020, the Daily Telegraph reported that Robert Buckland, the Security of State for Justice, was reviewing the sentencing process and considered a graded approach depending on the age of the offender. On September 16, 2020, Buckland presented the sentencing white paper to the House of Commons, which includes provisions to the amendment the law that with regards to young offenders who commit serious crimes. The paper was criticized by Ellie Gold's family because in the new law, it would not apply in the case of the defendant who did not take a weapon to the scene of the murder, such as Griffiths. Ellie's parents wrote to Gray requesting that their daughter's name be removed from the proposal as they were not being amended correctly. On March 9, 2021, Buckland introduced the Police, Crime, Sentencing, and Courts Bill that allowed the law to treat future teenage killers like adults, this increasing the minimum sentence that they can give such as 27 years. Although the legislation does not apply retrospectively, meaning that this would not go to Griffith's case, it removes the right of killers such as Griffith to have their sentences reviewed. Kara Gold describes the changes as a huge cloud being lifted from their heads. The Ellie Gold case was the subject of two televised documentaries that aired in the UK in October and November of 2020. The October episode of Britain's Deadliest Kids was broadcasted by Quest Red, while on November, the crime investigation documentary Murder at My Door covered the case. The feature films had many of Ellie's school friends who had cooperated with the makers of the films and also introduced an actress, Kim Marsh. Ellie Gold's family released a statement after Thomas Griffith was found guilty. We would like Ellie to be remembered as a kind, caring young lady with a wonderful, fun personality. From a young age, Ellie had a huge love for animals. Every spring, we would visit Lackham during the labing season, and during the summer holidays, we would make many visits to animal farms to hold chicks, rabbits, and feed baby animals. On her first day of primary school, she put holes in her brand new shoes as she spent every playtime playing with her friends, calling around on her hands and knees, being a cat. Ellie also loved our summer trips to Devon to stay with our aunt and uncle. She loved their puppy Elsa, while the other young cousins were scared of the lively puppy jumping up. Ellie wasn't. She had a wonderful way with animals, calming the puppy and making it do whatever she wanted. Every year from a young age, a pony was always on her Christmas or birthday list. As her parents, we tried to get away with buying a hobby horse to run around the garden with, but the pleads continued, so we adopted a, po a pony. However, due to the distance, we could only visit it twice a year. Finally, we decided as we lived in beautiful rural Wilshire, we'd buy her a pony, Missy. 
Missy was white with a long flowing mane and tail. She looked like a unicorn when she was white, although more often than not, she looked brown as she loved rolling around in the mud. Ellie spent hours brushing her, her mane, and her tail. She loved showing her off at local shows in the prettiest pony classes and was so proud one year to come in first at the Foxham Show in the best family pony class. Ellie's natural riding ability improved immensely and in no time she was ready to move on to her next pony, Blackjack. Again, winters and summers she competed in local shows and cross-country events. It was nail-biting to watch as she galloped past and flying over enormous country uh, jumps. She also spent the summer months often just with herself and her beloved Black Jack, hacking over Wilshower's beautiful countryside. Ellie loved the sixth form school where she was studying her A-levels. She had built up a close group of friends who would often meet up on the weekends and do activities such as escape rooms. She would often ask if the group could meet at our house. It's just a gathering, Mom, not a party, she said. We talk about visits to the university open days and apprenticeships within the police force. She wondered if she can get into the mountain police with her writing skills. While she was excited about the next step in her life, she also said, but I don't want the sixth form to end us as I love it so much. Ellie had lovely relationships with her older brother growing up. Rather, they argued as she was a fun, loving, and joy to be around. We would like Ellie to be remembered as a kind, caring young lady with a wonderful personality. Ellie's favorite charity was Writing for the Disabled, who actively ran for disabled children and adults, and we would like any donations in Ellie's memory to be made to this charity so that they can continue their fantastic worth. Well, with what Ellie had really wanted would be that. Finally, we'd like to thank the community for their support and comforting words, as well as the police who provided us with the support over the past few weeks. The one thing I want to note here is a lot of people think that Ellie was an only child, and I've listened to a lot of different podcasts and a lot of different shows that speculate that she was an only child, but Ellie was not. She did have an older brother named Ben. The only reason Ben is not showcased so much is one, because he doesn't want to be. He lost his baby sister. I mean, that's that's a lot. And two, he doesn't live in the area. He did move away as he got older and went to the university. My thoughts on this case. This one, this one put me through a whirlwind. I read so many Reddit forms. I watched her show and my, my heart broke. I couldn't imagine being a parent and walking into your home to find your daughter dead. I can only empathize with her father and what he's feeling and how he's processing that I also can empathize with her friends at that age this was her first boyfriend and someone that she's known for six years leading up to this point someone that everyone trusted he was kind he was gentle but she just felt like he was too overbearing and too smothering because he just loved her so hard from what her friends were saying that she just wanted out. She didn't want to be that person in a relationship and have her life dedicated to one person. She wanted to be able to be free and enjoy university and enjoy her life. And she knew for her at that point in time, being in a relationship was not it for her. And that should have been okay. We're at a weird point in society where men need to learn that it's okay when a woman says no. And that your feelings that you get frustrated and all that, that that's fine too. 
but you have to learn how to respect other people's boundaries. And this goes for both everyone, anyone included. When someone says no, take no as no. Because now this family is grieving for three years the loss of their daughter because someone could not take no. Because someone felt like their emotions and their thoughts overruled that person that said no. Because someone thought it was okay to go into this home and attack someone that they loved so much. And I have air quotes. Because they didn't want to be with them anymore. Not because they didn't want to be friends. Ellie wanted to be his friend. She just wanted to have her space, focus on her studies, focus on joining the university, going to the police academy, and having her friends. She wanted to be able to have freedom and not have to just think about this one person all the time. But they couldn't take no. My heart just can't comprehend that anymore. That brings us to the end of this episode. As always, thank you for listening to Murder by Nature. If you enjoy our show, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any streaming platform that you're currently on, and be sure to come back Saturday for a new episode. Until then, I am your host, Jasmine Hernandez. Don't forget to stay safe, everyone. Don't get murdered or murdered people, you lovely humans.